Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Lucy Kippist here. I'm the editor of Flying Solo and the host of this podcast where we peek inside the everyday lives of our inspiring small business communities. How is this for a story? Two years ago, Erica Kramer went from not being able to afford a loaf of bread to making over half a million dollars in 2020 from her business as a confidence coach. Erica has grown her business with just herself and one staff member. She hosts a super popular podcast, looks after her two children, and has just completed her first book, Confidence Feels Like Shit. Are you impressed? Me too. Erica joins us on the podcast today to share the secrets of her success and some of the ways we can help build back our confidence after such a challenging year. Welcome to Flying Solo, Erica. Hello, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you. So it's really hard to know where to start with the conversation with you because you've achieved such a huge amount in such a short space of time. But I think the first question that sprung to mind for me was, what does a confidence coach do? What Can you take us through a little bit about your business? Yes, yes. So basically a confidence coach, um, it's basically a life coach, but I focus really on helping women with their inner confidence. I help women to let go of people pleasing, stop caring so much what people think about them, and to really just stand in who they are in that moment. So it's a lot about self-confidence, self-worth, self-belief. And because it is in the life coaching realm, we do talk about many parts and many things, but I really try to focus on just pulling out that inner queen of confidence that we all have. So she's kind of like our alter ego. And that's what I get to do. And it was such a crazy year to be able to do that as well. Absolutely. And what a fantastic ethos for a business. And I love that term there, our shego. That's excellent. <laughs> um, they are, you know, I can imagine how extraordinary it is to be able to help people through that. And we'll get to the nuts and bolts of it later. What brought you to this kind of role though? Is it something you train for or is it a combination of life experience? How does it, how did it start? Yeah. So I think, um, I had a really crazy past and just grew up, uh, overseas with a bipolar mom in and out of foster care, sexual abuse, physical abuse. There was so much trauma in my childhood and it was really crazy. And then, um, I ended up breaking my back when I was 23, almost died in a car accident. And then the following year, my husband passed away. And so I had just really got hit with so much. And I think that like most of us do, we try to control all delete. We try to pretend that nothing's wrong and sweep it under the rug until the rug is like taking over your whole living room and you can't walk out of your house. And so I came to Australia for a man that I met in Las Vegas who ended up not being very nice. And I finally realized like I've, I've left my life in America thinking I would bury everything and it wouldn't follow me across the ocean. And it did. And when I met my husband, 
it was really, he was working on himself. He was seeing coaches and mentors and, and, you know, studying his mindset. And I really started to unravel my whole life and my past and my thoughts and my beliefs. It was about eight years and $110,000 later that we, mm-hmm. you know, ended up going, wow, you know, what's look at what we can heal. Look at what we can work through. It was incredible to see the power of this work. And I decided I wanted to help women do it. And I went into styling. I used to be a hairdresser in America. And so I went into clothing and helping women look beautiful from the outside. And that was awesome, except when they looked in the mirror, they would still say, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not like her. And so I started realizing really quickly that a styling business was only a Band-Aid and it was helping them and the outer confidence. But we needed to, instead of culling the wardrobe, we needed to cull the thoughts of the mind. We needed to cull the beliefs that didn't serve us. And I said, I'm not going to do styling anymore. I'm going to go into confidence coaching. And it was when I had my second baby, my husband's gym business was dead. We had all this debt. We had no money. Uh, That was the time where I was like, well, I'm not going to go back to my corporate job and let's try to do this business thing, uh, which was a bad time, but also it was the perfect time. So yeah, that's how it started. Whoa, that is, that's extraordinary amount of of stuff to sound really uneloquent about it, but that's extraordinary. (laughs) The two things that um, jump out to me though, firstly, is obviously meeting your husband there was a huge plus because he's obviously been on that path. What was it, do you think, was it how he described what he had worked through that sort of made something drop for you? Or do you think it was timing? Because often I think with this kind of work, timing is so vital because you can be told things 700 million times, but until you're ready to hear it, kind of just, you know, I mean, I'd like to know your thoughts on that. But yeah. That's- yeah, a hundred percent. I think, um, well, I knew, I you know, air quotes, I knew don't drink and drive. Right. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I had to break my back and have metal be put in my body and almost be paralyzed in order to get that lesson. So you're right. I think that timing is everything. I had I had done so much and I had moved here for a man. Then I moved to Melbourne for another man. And then I met my husband and I was like, the common denominator here is me. So this it's not outwards. It's got to be me. And I was ready. I was really ready. Uh, to start looking at what the hell was going on for myself. And he was such a gentle example. So to anybody listening, the best way to get someone to change is to change yourself, you know, be the example. He was, I I have this joke in my community where I'm like, just be Gandhi. And I'm like, you just got to be Gandhi for a little bit longer and you got to be the change you wish to see. And then people will go, wow, Lucy, you know, I love your energy. I'm finally ready. What is the book you recommend or whatever? So my husband never shoved it down my throat. He was very gentle and he was like no one I had ever met before. So I was very curious. And like you said, I was ready. The time had come. Mm, Fascinating. So was the business, so when you, you'd obviously done that and you'd gone through the work for want of a better expression, and you'd done that, and then you decided to train as a coach, was it something that you launched into full-time straight away or were you building this business up incrementally? Well, it's funny. I talk about this in the book. I was a stylist as a side hustle for like four years. So, I mean, talk about a side hustle. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe in myself enough to leave my job. uh, And, and I liked my job. I just didn't love my job and it wasn't my purpose. I knew it wasn't my purpose. And uh, what happened finally that, that day that I was in the shower, all the wisdom comes right in the shower um, when our kids aren't in there with us. And it was like, what does the queen of confidence do? You know, she doesn't do cotton. She doesn't do vertical stripes or horizontal stripes. She doesn't talk about styling and and body shapes. She talks about confidence. And it was like this, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, I don't want to do style anymore. So uh, I ended up 
I was doing those styling events on the weekend while I was working full time. But in that shower, when I had my second baby, it was maybe he was four months old or something. And I said, I'm just going to go full on into coaching. So I had been weaving coaching exercises into my styling workshops. Um, and I think a lot of coaches, especially young coaches, I've seen this a lot and it's, it's my own thing. I don't know if it, it's not right or wrong. It's just a personal preference. I see a lot of my students, a lot of coaches that are young, get into life coaching, meaning they go get coaching and they start changing their lives. And then four months into it, they're like, I want to be a coach and help everybody do it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. honey, you're in your, you're still in your flow. It's like, it's like going to the gym twice and then going, I want to train other people. It's like, you just started. So for me, I never had a desire to help anyone. I literally was cleaning up all my stuff. I was, I was so interested in working through my shit because I had so much of it. And then eight years later, I went and said, do I think I can do this? And I even still doubted myself, Lucy. I was like, should I go to coaching school? Should I go to Tony Robbins, you know, coaching school? And my husband's looking at me like, are you serious? You spent eight years, $110,000. Like you, you, you healed your shit. You have a big story and you're never going to attract someone that you can't help at the level you are at. And I'm like, wow, mm. that was so true. And I went to my coach and got her blessing. And obviously she helped me set up the business, but you know, it was always in me. It, it must have been something that was always in me. Mm, yeah, I love that. It's an extraordinary story. Mm. So obviously there's so much more I can ask you, but I'm not trying to brush all that off. But I guess in the context of our, you know, of our um, community who are people building as you, as you did, as you have a, a small business, um, what I'd like the most about what you said then was these moments you seem to have along that path where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to throw myself at this. I'm just, I'm just going to risk it all for want of a better expression and try it. What is it do you think that also needs to happen? Because, or is that enough? Like, is it enough just to back yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I talk about this because when I was, I was working for L'Oreal, so it's a hair company, they were amazing. And I was driving around Melbourne. That was my job, selling shampoo and conditioner, fancy shampoo and conditioner to hair salons. And on the weekends, I was doing my styling event. And when I wanted to do my coaching business, um, to anybody listening who's like, how do I turn my side hustle or how do I go full on into this? Let's be honest, you have to pay your bills. You know, like no one was coming to pay my rent or, or feed my children. So I didn't just quit my job. And I talk about it in the book. Like, I'm not saying go and just back yourself and quit your job. I think that's a really stupid idea. So don't do that. You know, I, I rang my business and I created a role for myself. I knew what, I knew what problem they had that I could solve. So I stepped into the shoes of my, my leaders and my bosses and went, Ooh, I found a problem in your business and I'm going to solve it for you with a new role. And my coach helped me create this. I rang them. They said, hell yeah, that's a great opportunity. So I was selling shampoo from home, breastfeeding my kid, listening listening to Gary Vaynerchuk and building my coaching business all at the same time. So it doesn't mean that you got to go just all in, but what it does mean is you have to get like uh, resourceful. And I think that's something that because I was resilient, the resourcefulness came in. So if you're listening and you haven't went through hard stuff and you don't find yourself resilient, get resourceful. So find a way instead of going, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I asked my clients to say, what can I do? What can you do? Okay, well, I can start a podcast from Anchor in my car. You know, it's not going to be the greatest audio, but I've got something to say. Well, I can start a YouTube vlog. Well, I can do this. Well, I can, oh, wow, I can do a lot. And so I feel like we're very comfortable sometimes. And thankfully, we were, we were 
we were screwed. Basically, we had no money, we had to do something. So I could either go back to my job, or I could really back myself and say, I'm going to have a side hustle for money, but I'm going to go all in on my business, meaning we're not going to have breakfast and on Sunday morning and pay $40 each. You know, we're not going to go out with our friends, we're not going to buy anything, we're going to tighten it up, we're going to hustle, I'm going to put content out there like crazy. And and that was what we started doing. And literally, we went from nothing to 159,000 in the first year. Like that wasn't because anybody gave us anything. We just, I just hustled. Yeah. And I think it's so true that I love that point you made there about just do something because there's so much online now and there's so many fabulous books about how to start a business, which is fantastic. But what you can get, I think you can get to the point where you're either overloaded and then you're completely overwhelmed. And then you're like, oh, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars to start this business. I don't have all of these structure, but I think as you've, you're a brilliant example of that's actually not what you need. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't be assuming that you're going to then make heaps of money really quickly by doing one thing. Yeah. Either. So it's a yeah. balance. Right? I think that's yeah. where that belief comes in to just keep getting up every day and trying something. Yeah. And you have to be patient as well. Like I remember doing a show called Q and a Tuesday and it was an Instagram show for 20 minutes and no one watched and no one asked me questions. I made questions up from my events or questions that I wrote, you know, I'm like, today's question <laughs> comes from me. Like, and I never <laughs> worried about, Oh my God, no one's watching. Oh my God. No. It's like, let's be patient. Let's understand that initially there's a season in your business. When you're first starting out, the season is like, is hustle. It's summer. It's like hardcore hustle. You're out there, you know, shooting everybody up with all this content, hoping that someone listens. And after 47 weeks of Q&A Tuesday, then maybe three to four months, then I started seeing some feedback and that feedback was enough to get me going even harder and doing more content. But it's like, we have to be willing to work really hard in the beginning. And you are going to be maybe attached to your phone, have a conversation with your family and your husband or your wife, you know, let them know what's going on and what you're wanting to build. I did all of that. My husband was on board, but he also, you know, set boundaries. And so we worked really hard, but now I don't have to work as hard back then, but I think we want to not work hard and live on the beach and do less and achieve more. And the reality is in business, it's a, it's, there's a lot of people. So how are you going to cut through the noise? And, mm-hmm. and you have the opportunity because the internet is here and it's free, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So your business now has a few elements to it. Um, well, your brand, I should say. So you, you do the coaching, you also have a podcast and you have an online training group that's around 250 plus women. Yeah. I guess what, so the coaching came first. When, at what point did you start the podcast? So I started the podcast first. I had a YouTube channel that I was just vlogging for 40 days. That's all I did was vlog our crazy life. Um, so all of this is documented, which is really cool. Um, mm. Like our struggle, our can't buy bread, everything. Like 40 days of that is documented. Um, and I just started doing my podcast in my car from, from Anchor. And obviously it's not with Anchor anymore, but I did that initially. Uh, and that I didn't even know it was doing well. I just started doing it because I had so much to say and I wanted to serve my audience. So I started that um, two and a half years ago, almost three years. Um, and then from the podcast, I just started going really hard on Instagram. That became my channel. Uh, Facebook wasn't really going off for me. So I, I decided to go all in on Instagram and just show up and just document like a reality TV show. So I did that. And, um, within 18 months, the podcast had 500,000 downloads, which I had no idea about. Um, and so I think people liked that raw, 
you know, Bluetooth big sister in the car with the e-tag going off <laughs> 20 minute episodes. Cause that's what it was like. And it's still like, um, yeah. And then, so we were doing one-on-one coaching. So I always do. And I think this is a great, uh, for me, it's a great model. I love doing live events. So I was realizing even as a stylist, when I would go with someone one-on-one that the, that woman had the same kind of problem as that woman, as that woman, as that woman. And I'm like, what if we got together in community? And because I was a foster kid, I love strangers and people getting together. So that part of me really is great in my business because we build community. So we had live events. And then when I started coaching one-on-one, the same problem happened. So I refuse, I refuse to coach one-on-one on on confidence coaching or life coaching. I will do business, but never one-on-one for that. Because to be honest, I feel like our culture thinks we're the only ones that suffer with this little problem and it makes us really special. And we sit in a room with a therapist or our counselor sharing our little problem that no one knows about. And in the reality, that problem has the power to shift another human if they could only hear you or experience you. So I'm like, I'm not doing one-on-one. I didn't even do it to make money like a one-to-mass model. I just went, this is ridiculous. More women need to come together. So we created the group coaching that same year called a sisterhood and we launched it in November. So we did like an early bird in November. Uh, so I had been coaching from June till November one-on-one. And then in November, I'm like, no more one-on-one. You guys have to join the group. So we do a live sisterhood uh, coaching program, which is 12 months, six live events in Melbourne. We have 78 women in that program at the moment. And then the following year, we launched the online version of it, which is where we have the 260 in like 13 countries. Um, and then we do retreats which are like twice a year, we do a Melbourne retreat out in the woods. And then we do a Bali retreat. Um, And now I have a little business mastermind group, six women that are coaches. And I took them under my wing for this COVID time because I wanted to share what worked for me in my business. And that's Mm -hmm. been awesome. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) And two kids. (laughs) Um, You're, yeah, I'm just really impressed. Just trying to take it all in. But (laughs) Like the other side of this story is obviously your financial growth. So you've mm-hmm. grown this business and your your financial growth from zero to half a million dollars in less than two years is, let's face it, who doesn't want that? Yeah. Um, what do you think contributed most to this financial success? If there is one thing, I don't know if it's appropriate even to ask that question. But- oh, oh, my God, I'm happy to talk about anything. I love that. Um, I think yeah. we should talk about money, especially women. You know, we can make money and making money is fantastic because it allows us the space to create freedom and hire people and support the economy. And, you know, I, I have a saying that I say more money, more impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't say more money, more problems. I'm like more money, more impact. And I'm a kid who grew up in Boston in the ghetto on food stamps, you know, with welfare, all the bad money beliefs times 10, I had them. So for me to be able to myself, not, not anyone else, but me create this money in my business because I'm serving like blows me away. Like I'm done. I don't even, and we live very simple. Like we don't, we don't have a crazy lifestyle. Thankfully. Um, it's not our, it's not our jam. So for me, I think that one of the biggest things was community and being real. And I think a lot of us want to make money and we want to do this and we want to do that. And what I would say is why? Why do you want to do it? Are you doing it because you're seeking validation? Are you doing it because you want to prove everybody wrong? Are you doing it because you want your dad to be proud of you? Because he probably won't be. What are you doing it for? That's really important because that's going to drive your your why. It's going to drive how much you're willing to show up. You know, during COVID, we messaged every single one of our, our members and said, are you struggling? Do you need a payment plan? Do you need to freeze payments? What can we do to support you? Like, I wanted to be that business that didn't go against them, but help them 
And we had like maybe four or five women. That was it. And I emailed them and said, do you need to stop payments? Because I knew it was going to be a struggle for them. Like mm-hmm. I didn't do that to get any, you know, thank you or any media. That was my heart and soul. And so I think when people feel your why, and when they feel like you care and you're not focused on money, you will make so much money. So I just focus on serving. How can I serve my clients? How can I innovate something? How can I help them? What other product or service will support them? And honestly, we, we did a payment plan in COVID. We got 60 new clients in those four months when COVID hit in Australia. Um, we got 60 new women because we launched a 12-month payment plan. When a lot of my coach friends were like, you can't do a 12-month payment plan. People won't pay you. I'm like, my people will pay. I'm going to hold space for that. And I never had anybody not pay. You know, uh, the opposite. People paid other people's memberships that were struggling. So I feel like keeping it raw and real with your audience, uh, building a community and letting people into your life, like not just your business, but your life, your thoughts, your beliefs, what you're about. People fall in love with you, not so much your product or service. And then they feel like they can know, like, and trust you deeply um, and like you care for them. So true. But also, I, you know what I think the other side of that is that you obviously trust yourself and yeah. you have faith in what you're offering and you're trusting that what you're offering is actually bigger than you. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And I think something too, Lucy, I know a lot of um, coaches teach this, like charge your worth, charge your worth. And I don't say that to my students. I don't say that to my business women. Uh, I, I really say to them, charge what you feel right now, you know, and it's very important. When I launched my first course, uh, the, the in-person six live events, I, I charged $997. Like that's nothing. All my coaches were like, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. But I didn't believe in myself at that time. I didn't think anybody would pay to work with me for a year and come to six live events. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was making it up as I went. I had all the great intentions, but I had never done that before. So who was I to go, are you going to pay $5,000? And I also don't niche into business women. My niche is similar to Tony Robbins niche, which is all people, except it's women. So I know that it's going to be a bigger, uh, a longer wait for me. It's a marathon for me. My niche isn't so fine tuned. So I had to look at that and say, for me, nine, nine, seven for a year long program feels really good. And obviously it was ridiculously low, but that's how much I felt I was worth to charge them at that time for that product, not me, but that product, which was a new product. And then as soon as we we did it, we got 25 women. So we went from, we have no coins to find Baker's Delight bread and to $25,000 in five hours. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to up the price. Cause I felt like people gave me feedback. The program's now like $3,000, but the point is stop thinking that you should charge what they charge or what your mentors tell you. How do you feel about it? If you're not owning that price point, you're not going to be able to go out into the world and charge that because it's not in alignment with you. Yes. And so if it is an issue, because I, I completely agree with you, it's having that confidence to put a price on what you're worth. But if you're still developing that confidence, mm. um, how do you then message to your community that you're putting your prices up? Yeah. So I think for me, when I first got it, I said early bird and I really hyped it up. And before it even came mm. out, and this is a tip I would say to everybody, take your audience with you. You know, when I was launched, I was like, guys, I'm going to write my book. Here I am at 1am writing my book. Oh my God, I'm crying about this chapter. I took them with me every step of the way. So when I launched the sisterhood, I said, I want to build this thing. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? 
And when I say that, I'm not waiting for them to give me an answer, by the way. I already know what I think. I'm just also bringing them in. So don't expect them to give you all the answers. Some of my students go, nobody gives me any feedback on Instagram. I'm like, so what? Do you know your ideal client? Like, can you create the feedback? And if one or two people message you, so I continue to share what I was going to create. I then built a wait list. I then said, hey, you better get on that wait list because the early bird is never going to be this price point again. And it never was. I didn't lie. So I'm like, if you don't get into this, I, I hyped it up. You know, I had to hype it up. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Let's do this. And when the early bird email came out and I told everybody on Instagram, that's when we made that 25000 And then in January, I made it, you know, uh, 1497 or something. And I said, again, it's going to keep going. So I just kept telling them, this is what's going to happen. If you want to get in, you need to make a decision now. And, and that's what it's going to be. And so, yeah, I think you can have permission if you're, if you're letting people know what you're doing and people do that all the time. You buy a t-shirt and then the next week it's 50% off. You're not going to get angry at, you know, Meyer or whatever. It's, it's part of business. Mm-hmm. The last thing I wanted to ask you, I mean, there's a million things I could ask you, <laughs> ordinary, um, story, but I guess, you know, as you've said, your business has, has survived or actually thrived through COVID. Um, yeah. What do you think your experience this year has taught you about business for next year? Because I know within our community, there's actually been an incredible amount of resilience. And we did a survey recently and everyone told us, well, about 70% told us they were, you know, cautiously optimistic about 2021. But I'm just wondering two questions. One, what has this experience taught you and what, what will that fire into the next year for you? And two, if we are teetering on the brink of sort of a bit apprehensive about next year, what's one thing we can do to kind of get our confidence soaring a bit more? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that I learned in 2020 was that I had tunnel vision in my business and I had fallen in love with my product, which we know we shouldn't do. (laughs) And I did. I really fell in love with the Melbourne sisterhood. I fell in love with the fact that we could do live events. We were in the middle of a global tour. So we were taking our our masterclass. So I do a masterclass to the general public, and then I sell my program at the end of the masterclass. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like a live webinar in person. And so that model works really well for us. We launch kind of live events. And I was in LA and we had come here and then we went to Byron and then we got shut down. And I instantly went into, okay, how can we serve the world and do mind manager mind masterclasses for people? Cause they were stressed out. And then I realized how I had, I had just set myself on, I'm going to have this many events this year. We're going to do this, that, and the other. And it was so rigid, Lucy, you know, I I felt like my, like it had popped my dream and it was like, now what do I do? And I kind of pulled me out of my tunnel vision. So I would say that the biggest thing for 2020 to me, it was my best year. It has been my best year because it, it forced me into looking at how I was in tunnel vision. It forced me into my rigidness of my business. And it showed me that I could innovate. And when I say innovate, I mean, serve a better way. So I don't mean innovate to mean like, oh, we're so smart and techy and, and innovative. I mean, like when I innovate, it means I find a better way to serve my client. That's what innovation to me means. So I'm like, cool, what else can we do? And if it wasn't for 2020, I wouldn't have launched my business mastermind, small group mastermind, which we made $60,000 in June on. Everybody paid up front, which was insane because I thought no one had money. Uh, That was my belief, right? I'm like, oh, no one has money because of COVID. And they let people take money out of their super. 
So, you know, there, there it goes. My, my thought just went out the window. And then I found another way with virtual events. And I'm like, wow, we can actually go hard online and still help people. So everything I want you to hear, if you're listening, the intention was always, how do I serve my client? Because I love what I do. I, I'm sure you can hear that, right? Like, yeah. it's like, I love my client. How can I serve them better? It was never shit. How are we going to make more money? How are we going to make more money? That's a scarcity mindset. That's fear-based. You will keep yourself in that fear. So you have to like allow yourself to go, okay, if I could serve my clients or help or innovate a product or service, what would, what would they love? How can I do that? And when we get into that space of service, I feel like the fear goes away and we become creative and it's fun and it's exhilarating. And from that space, we create amazing things. So the book was born. We had nine weeks of lockdown or actually turned into 12 weeks of lockdown in Melbourne. And I was trapped in my home with my two kids and my husband. And I'm like, well, what a perfect time to write my book. My husband didn't agree with that. <laughs> he was like, what are you doing? Um, and you know, I wrote my book to the soundtrack of Moana and Frozen because my kids, that's all they watched. <laughs> But I had to go, I had to go, what do I do with this crazy time where I would be normally buzzing and traveling and doing all that virtual events, write your book. Thank goodness, because I needed to get that book out. I had been wanting to do that book for a year and it it ended up happening. So now I look at this year and I'm like, my idea of this year was so minute when I think about like, it was a tiny a tiny year versus what the universe or whatever had in store for me this year. And I think that about everyone, we didn't have the year we wanted, but we definitely got the year we all needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The final question I guess is, you know, listening to you is so inspiring and I can, I can hear in your voice, you know, your passion for what you do. I guess I'd love to be able to give our audience something today that we can sort of start thinking about even in terms of, like looking at our own confidence levels and how that's impacting our business. What, what do you mm. think we can sort of try and start shifting now before next year? Yeah. So I want to give you my, my five C's because it's a very simple process and I'll give you the link and you can share the little cheat sheet just with your audience. And basically I call confidence a practice. So I think about it like meditation or like fitness, you know, you never arrive at confident it's a constant practice. And so when, when I talk about this, I, I have five C's and it's, it's not revolutionary. It's just a simple process that you can think. And, and I believe that we get to create confidence in the moment. So if you feel like crap or you're stressed out or whatever's going on for you, you follow the five C's and you check where you are and write your next move. So it's like one step, the next step, the next step. So, um, The C number one is called choice and choice is all about you making the decision, that big decision that, you know, choice and decision go hand in hand. And it's like, what kind of choices are we making? Are we worrying about the small stuff that doesn't matter? Or are we making the big decisions? Like I need to leave my job or I want to start my business or I want to move across the country, whatever choice is. So choice is about you figuring out that big dream and letting yourself dream big for 2021, whatever that looks like for you. One thing that you want to do, one decision that you're committed to making. Number two is courage. And courage is really funny because I think we think it's this amazing lion thing and it's not. It's courage is there's pee dripping down your leg and you're scared. You're super scared. Your knees are shaking. You're you're in massive self-doubt, but you move anyway. It's like walking through the fog and you don't know what the hell you're going to come across, but you start walking. And this is the thing. We don't know what's going to happen, but we need to be willing to move anyway. We need to plan as much as we can and then surrender. So number two is courage. Basically, my definition of courage is, are you scared as hell? Fantastic. You're on the right track. Keep going. (laughs) Um, 
Number three is create and create on purpose is not called action because I think we take too much action and out of alignment as well. So then we burn out and we're doing all these things and it makes no sense. So when I talk about create, it's about you going, what's one small little step, tiny step that I could create in order to get me towards my big decision, my big goal. A lot Mm -hmm. of us have big dreams and goals and we want to do these big things, but what's the one small step? And so this is about you taking that one little thing that feels like it's nothing that's going to snowball into some amazing uh, action and some amazing feedback for your business or for your life. That's number three. Number four is consider. Consider is evaluate. So you took action. You did the thing. You did a small thing. Number four is now how did you go? evaluate. Was it good? Was it awesome? Did it go really well? Or was it crap? I never say fail because I think that our words are very important. And when we use words like failure, I'm a failure. It makes me not want to try again. That word makes me feel like crap. So here it's about you going, if it didn't work out, if you made a mistake or you think you failed, what did you learn from that? So you either did really well, or you learned that that wasn't the way to do it. Fantastic amazing. If you, if you can go back to the things that didn't work and you can mine the gold, like get the gold from those moments and go, cool. Now I have that to move forward. Then number five is continue. You go back to step one. What's the next decision? What's the next choice you need to make? Okay. Now take that little action. Let's go again. And it kind of becomes this practice where you're moving into one cohesive movement and you never stop. And I realized that a lot of people, when they fail air quotes, is that they stop. And in that gap of you stopping at step four, the longer the gap, the more you doubt yourself, the more you doubt yourself, the longer it is. It's like, oh my God, now it's been six months and now I can't do it. And it's like, just don't stop moving. Just keep moving. So good. So good. Yes. Please share that um, sheet with us and I'll include it in the show notes. Erica, it's been amazing to speak with you. Thank you so much for being so generous with everything you've shared. And if I can point everyone to your website, do you want to give a bit of a plug for the website and the podcast so we know where to find more about you? Yes. Yes. And I want to say to you, the, the book is called Confidence Feels Like Shit. And the reason why is because when you go to create confidence, it's actually uncomfortable. You're putting yourself out there. You're going to get judged. You may fall flat on your face in front front of people publicly, it doesn't feel good to create confidence. You're not confident when you're creating it, but it's so worth it. And I, and I want people to understand that that's the truth about confidence, that it's not easy. It's hard work, but you can create it and cultivate it if you're, if you're willing to do what it takes for yourself. So um, the website is thequeenofconfidence.com. Uh, the podcast is the Confidence Chronicles podcast. And then, um, yeah, I'm just at the Queen of Confidence, LinkedIn everywhere. <laughs> Hit me up. So great to speak with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lucy, for having me.